on Life Talks. Hopefully it's a short one, Dan, because I got some video games to go play. Uh-oh. If you don't mind. <laughs> and actually, I was going to take a nap later and, uh, and make I don't sure know, your mom lay does around. Your laundry for you. Mom is going to do laundry later and cook my dinner and mm-hmm. clean up the, the, the dishes <laughs> when we're done. All right. So today on Life Talks, we are talking about the rise of the man-child. Yes. I am Britt Nipper sitting in with Pastor Dan Burrell, the man-child. I don't think anybody wants that title, but a lot of people deserve it. Yeah, uh, it's a recent phenomenon that really started with uh, the latter half of the millennials and uh, first half of the Generation Z or Zoomers, as we call them, Gen Zs. Um, It's something we've probably seen emerge over the last 20 to 30 years in particular. So, I mean, if you Google characteristics of man-child, you get 20 different lists and so forth, and some of them are kind of superficial. But basically, what, what we find is a phenomenon happening, and it's global, it's interesting. It is global. We see it a lot in the United States, and it's not as predominant in some cultures as others. But there are, I mean, I've traveled the world. I've seen it around the world. And that is males that have, they have been stunted in their maturation so that what was common a generation ago is now uncommon. So what you have is a generation of young men who are not actively working, that are still living under their parents' roof, that are um, what they sometimes call incels, I-N-C-E-L, which means involuntarily celibate, which means they don't have a, a girl, you know, a girlfriend, a wife, or well, whatever. I mean, if you're living at home with mom and dad and not showering and doing your own laundry, chances are you're not it's going to have a, little, a girl. It's going to be a little, <laughs> little hard, isn't it? Um, and 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 so and 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 they're really not contributing to society and to culture. And so, you know, as we we kind of unfold in this conversation, I'll I'll kind of explain why it's a problem and and the implications of it. But it, it's basically we have hundreds of millions of people worldwide and tens of millions of people in this country who, at this time in their life, had they been born in previous generations, no one would have expected them to still be living at home. Everyone would have, you know, be asking, what do you do for a living? And and the assumption is that they're earning a living that's adequate enough that they could live on their own, get a, get a wife, and, and so forth. And this is predominantly happening among men. Now, it's not to say that there aren't some women living at home, but by and large, this is a male problem. That's why we call it the rise of the man. And we also can't forget that in the 1940s, there were guys that were 16 and 17 claiming to be 18 so that they could go fight so in a war fight uh, in war, halfway around right. the world, which right. is fascinating to me. You just mentioned that it's not only in America, it's happening around the world. I find that interesting because I would think with all of our comforts here, it would make it easier for that to happen. So why why are you seeing that around the world? Well, it's interesting. You don't see it in rural areas as much as you see it in, in metropolitan areas. So those same comforts that exist here are in the larger cities. Yeah. But by and large, uh, there's more of a social emphasis. There's more ac- more access to the internet, which is a primary uh, uh factor in this that we'll talk about in a moment. Um, and, and and quite frankly, in a lot of rural areas, if you don't work, you don't eat. Mm. And and so you don't have that quite as often. And worldwide, worldwide, if you travel much, you'll know there, and it's true in this country, it's true in every country, there's a big gulf between people that were raised in a rural setting and people that were raised in a, in a city setting. Um, you know, a more agrarian mentality, usually uh, they're, they're perceived as being less educated. Often they'll even have, you know, a 
a, a, a slang or brogue or a, an accent of some kind that is considered lowbrow, low, 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 low caste. Um, but um, they don't have access to some of the experiences that they do in, in a city. That's why you see a lot of young people, one of the first things they want to do when they get to an age they can leave home is where do they go? They go to the city. This is very true the way I grew up. I grew up in a very rural uh, agrarian area. And man, at graduation, we went off to college and we never went back. Mm. I I didn't do it intentionally. I loved my upbringing. I loved being rural. But it just so happened work was where, you know, that drove me and big cities were easier to get good jobs in. So let's dig into the characteristics of a man-child. How do I know I'm not one or how do I know that I <laughs> that I am one? Let's get a profile on a man-child. Yeah, well, I mean, it starts with the idea they're still living at home. And and again, this isn't to say that it is wrong. I mean, my sons lived at home in their young 20s. Uh, both of them left probably a little later than they should have. Um, you know, finishing school or getting that first job, you know, a lot of times it is driven by finances, but not necessarily because uh, a lot of times young people will find places to spend their money other than rent if if they don't have mm. that pressure. Um, so, uh, but these would be people that probably have reached the age when they should have finished their education. So I would say, you know, 23, 24 years of age is when you would expect most people have graduated with a four-year degree um, or, or when they should have gotten married. Um, and again, age of marriage is progressively, I mean, when I was, uh, you know, of marriaging, marrying age, uh, if you weren't married by the time you were 26, 27 as a guy or 23, 24 as a, a girl, there was like, you were broken. Something's wrong. Something's wrong Something with was... you. <laughs> right. And it was earlier than that for my parents. My, my parent, my, my mom got married at 18, had me at 19. Um, so, but, but they're at an age when you would expect that they should have left home by now. And so now they're in their young thirties, mid thirties even up into their 40s. I mean, the, the guy running for the Democratic or who won the Democratic nomination uh, for for a Senate in the state of Pennsylvania, I think his name was Fetterman, uh, ended up with living at home like up into his 50s, which is kind of disturbing. Now he wants to be a senator. But that's really odd. Yeah, it is very odd. But this is, again, not uncommon for the rise of the man shot. So that's one thing. Another thing is that they don't have a full time job. Um, if they have a job at all, it'd be part-time, but often they don't, or they, they have jobs that are not capable of paying them. So, uh, you know, they're making money on the internet or they're, uh, you know, buying and selling things off the internet mm-hmm. or things like that. And it may bring in minimal income, but it's not enough that they could live independently. The third thing is they're dependent upon their parents for support. Now that can be financial support. It could be having, you know, a roof over their head. Uh, it could be, you know, the kind of support that a lot of loving and doting moms give on their boys, well, we said before, cooking yeah. meals, cooking doing, laundry, doing vacuuming laundry, vacuuming their room. Yes. Yeah, that, th- those kind of things. Um, the, the fourth thing is I consider to be far more sinister, uh, but it is, it is a reality. They have an addiction uh, to technology uh, that is most prominently dis- demonstrated through an addiction to video games and pornography. Mm. So this, this, this addiction means that they are spending hours per day uh, scrolling through pornography uh, and also playing video games. Many times the man child will have a very sophisticated technology station set up in their room. Yeah. Multiple screens, uh, headphones, cameras, um, you know, the, the latest gaming system with all the best controllers and so forth. They, they kind of have this office of their own set up, um, but they're spending hours, multiple hours per day, most of their waking hours 
connected to technology, largely to video gaming with intermittent stops at pornography, uh, and, and, and which then takes away some of the drive that men should have toward looking for a spouse, settling down, having a place to express their sexuality, uh, which would be traditionally in, you know, within a marriage, uh, they don't need that. There's not as much pressure, um, because, you know, they're engaging in, in, uh, sexual activity with themselves with pornography. And, and then it creates this fifth area. And, and, and that is where they have a lack of people skills that you would normally find in, um, you know, people that are out and about in the world and engaging with other people. So for whatever reason, they're a little bit socially uh, um, immature uh, or stunted or incapable of engaging with others on a normal, healthy level. And, you know, we've seen numerous studies come out about how pornography rewires your brain. Mm -hmm. It completely changes your brain and the way it functions. And I, I think that that lends itself to the people skills side of things is because if someone is locked in their room looking at pornography nonstop all the time, and then they finally do come across a female, you're not going to know how to treat her. You're not going to know how to react to her. And then you're going to have a level of expectations of her that isn't realistic. Absolutely. And and the first thing you mentioned is really, really crucial because it rewires your brain. <clears throat> and the research is now showing that so does video gaming. Hmm. Uh, by the way, so does watching TikTok videos. So does anything with a blue screen rewires your brain. And the, and the research that's coming out right now is is absolutely alarming. Um, and you combine the rewiring that takes place with excessive uh, technology use with what takes place with excessive, or really any, uh, use of marijuana. And a lot, of, a lot of these guys are stoners. You know, they're, they're, and, and by the way, the marijuana that exists today compared to the marijuana that existed when I was a teenager is, is like the difference between drinking Diet Coke and Jack Daniels. It's, it's, I mean, it's just completely different. It's far more potent, far more sophisticated, and it's designed to give you that quick, cheap high. Yeah. And, and so you add all that, and, and this is why they're not able to function because they, they, they're creating a rewired brain that is not capable of self-care the way that it has historically and traditionally been for men. And I don't want to go off on a rabbit trail here, but there was a study done on how the brain works when media is involved with it. And there's mm -hmm. different levels of the brain. I'm probably going to get this wrong, but it's like alpha, beta, theta, and then there's one below that. So alpha, our brains would be reacting the way they are now. We're fully engaged. We're listening. We're talking. We're ready. As you get down lower theta and below that, it, it becomes almost like a hypnotic state if you were in a state of meditation. Mm -hmm. uh, but what that does is your body has become completely relaxed and mm -hmm. you're more open and ready to accept any information that's given to you. Mm -hmm. And they found that within 30 seconds of someone watching a TikTok or watching a movie or video that we've almost already reached that theta and below level, which means your brain is completely open to whatever the information is being put inside of it. So that study was done basically around how media affects people and how dangerous media can be because it does put us in that state of relaxation. And stop and think about where most people consume that kind of media in their bed. Yeah. So, you know, I know a lot of young people, I know a lot of older people who the last thing they do at night is scroll through their feed. Mm. And, and then when they get sleepy, they, they turn it off. So, you know, when I was in college, if I, went, I had a big test the next morning, the last thing I would do is read my notes and then I would go to sleep. 
And when I woke up the next morning, I was better prepared for the test. It's because our brain continues to work even mm -hmm. though we're asleep. It redigests the material. And, and I found it was very – I read some research on it and I found it was a very effective way for me to move forward in my studies. So you stop and think about the implications of listening. Uh, another core of the, uh, aspect of that would be what kind of music are you listening to to go to sleep by? Yeah. Because, again, if you're listening to music with filthy lyrics and so forth, you're really reprogramming how you think, how you consume. Uh, you're, you're unguarded and – and, and uh, there, there are implications beyond what we, I think, are apparently aware of. Okay, so we have uh, a bunch of man-childs, man-children out there, <laughs> but there's a new generation coming up. I have two little boys. What do I need to look out for? What do I need to do to prevent the raising of one of these man-children? Yeah, so so there's some research coming out. And by the way, there's huge spiritual implications on this too, and we don't have time in this episode to, to get through it. But the reason I've wandered into this area uh, is is because we're looking at why children leave their faith. Um, why, why are children not generationally passing or, or accepting what their parents have modeled and taught to them? And one of the dominant reasons is because of the involvement of technology and the messages of technology, whether it's TikTok or, um, you know, YouTube or, or, or whatever, because they're consuming so much of it. But, um, you know, how, how does a proactive parent do uh, prepare their child? And the number one answer, and, and no one's going to like this, but until we get serious about it, the number one answer is delay when your kids get access to technology. Um, we are using technology as a babysitter. How many times have you mm, and I yeah. gone to a Chili's or gone to a restaurant and you look across and, and you say, oh, look at all those kids. How well behaved are they? Well, why are they well behaved? <laughs> They've all got dad's phone, mom's phone, and somebody brought an iPad and they're all sitting there like little zombies. <laughs> yeah. And I got to tell you, as a dad who has wrestled kids while I was waiting for the French fries to come, there's something appealing about that. Yeah. Because it is. It's like giving your kid Benadryl. When you put that in front of them and turn it on, it's like zombie city and they're not causing – and you can have a grown-up conversation. But what you're basically doing is drugging your children and it is dangerous because not only not only are they not learning the social skills, they should be at a table where you're training and say, no, sit up. Don't do that. Don't touch that. Quit stacking the sugar. You know, all the different things that kids do and you're not engaging with them. You're not having conversations and they're being re-educated at that moment, but their brain is being physiologically affected. So what the research is showing is that delaying as long as possible, even up through high school, regular um, engagement with technology is essential. Now, here's, here's the frustrating thing. There, there's two aspects that I, I want to mention. The first one is this, and this is why kids are rebelling against their parents' faith and other things. Um, it's because if you don't do it too, it, it is not going to work. And it's been really interesting. There's several churches that are doing pilot programs now on setting up values for your kids that will help them not become, you know, stay-at-home kids for the rest of their lives and transfer their faith and all these other objectives we have. And, and, and to be a part of these studies, you have to make some commitments. And one of the commitments is this, that you will have five meals at your house per week where no one brings technology to the table. And there are parents who will not sign that agreement not because they won't, they don't want to tell their kids not to do it because they don't want to do it. That's it, it's crazy, crazy, isn't it? It's yeah. crazy, but yeah. it is a reality. And in all honesty, um, 
I got, I'm, I struggle with looking at my phone too frequently. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I struggle with uh, going to sleep without, you know, scrolling through, you know, <laughs> yeah, my not, set nice, websites. <laughs> nice relaxation yeah, time. Yeah. That, yeah. And, and, yeah. and, 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 and here, here's what we need to be aware of. We will rationalize using it. And it's interesting. Like I just put something up on one of my social media feeds, just asking some questions about it. Um, within 10 minutes, I had 61 responses and three fights broke out. Oh. Um, be- and, and, and the bottom line was I was questioning guys using video gaming systems and the impact socially it had on it. And a large number of people said, it's not a problem um, with me because I keep it under control. <laughs> I can quit yeah. anytime I want, I said every any- addict ever, yeah. right? <laughs> it's exactly. And that's the point I'm wanting to make. When you start making excuses like that, you are showing the same characteristics of an alcoholic or a drug addict. It is no different, and you are in denial, and you better address it. Yeah. All right. So you say, well, what is the safe level of using technology? I don't have the answer to that. I'm trying to, you know, look for research and so forth, but I'm going to say it's less than you're using it. <laughs> you know, the safe level is less than good, I'm using good it. Good bar to set. Yeah. I mean, I got this thing on my phone that said you used five, you had five percent less screen time this week than last week, and I thought, yes, that's really great. And then I realized, well, you know, I was on an airplane. I did this, and I did. No wonder I'm five percent down. <laughs> Actually, if I hadn't been where I I was, I'd probably be 12% up. Um, and 50 hours minus 5% is not that big of a... Yeah, it's really not. <laughs> and it, yeah, and so we've got to start getting honest with ourselves. But the number one thing that you can do is is reduce the amount of access your kids have to technology. That means don't give your elementary kid a smartphone. Don't give your middle school kid a smartphone. Here's why parents give their kids smartphones. They want control, they want access, and they want their kids to fit in. All the other kids have a smartphone. I should have one too. And by the way, once your kids get a taste of everything they can do on a smartphone, mm-hmm. it, it creates a voracious appetite and you're going to be Satan yeah. to them for not for not giving in. So, you know, every family's different, every parent's different, and I have learned the hard way that telling people, you know, these are five steps to making sure your kids turn out right is a lousy way <laughs> of giving coaching and counseling. But I will say this, you got to take a stand on it. You've got to set the example on it. And it needs to be more than you're currently doing. Yeah. And let me say, you know, confession time. We Our kids have iPads. We have a seven and five-year-old. They have iPads that they mm-hmm. play on. They're the uh, Amazon kids thing. Um, we monitor what they play. We have uh, we can see on our phone what they've done. They play on them probably more hours than they should a day. Mm-hmm. But we have from the very beginning, and we've stuck to this, we don't let them play them when we go in the car. Hmm. Even if it's to the grocery store, wherever, no iPads whatsoever, because we want you talking to us. We want you looking outside. Mm-hmm. We want when we go to restaurants, when we go anywhere, no iPads, no nothing. Mm-hmm. So we've set up those few boundaries. Again, we could tighten it up at home, I'm sure, but it is doable. Yeah. Will they put up a fight at first? Absolutely. Why can't I do it? Why can't I do it? Because we said no. We want you to spend time mm-hmm. with us. We want you to look at God's creation. We want you to ride around and be present with us. Yeah. Um, so you can set up a few boundaries and then hopefully tighten it in from there as well. Yeah, and I, I think those boundaries are important. For instance, I would not let a child have access to the internet in their bedroom. Yeah. yeah. Rule number one. Number two, never during meal times. Maybe like what you said, never during travel times because those are conversational times. Deuteronomy 6 teaches us that travel times are great times for discipleship, by the way, as are meal times, bedtimes, and breakfast, uh, according to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4, 5, and 6. Um, the, the, that, that's the beginning point. I would put a time limit on it, too. Mm-hmm. And I got to yeah. tell you, it would be my belief at this stage. My kids 
I did not have to make these decisions because my kids were adults by the time this level of technology access was available. And I kept my I kept uh, the video gaming systems out of my house until my kids were in their mid-teens. And I will tell you right now, that was a mistake to introduce it even then, mm. even then. And I gave in to peer pressure yeah. to be able to do it. Um, but the um, I think one hour is adequate. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I do. Uh, you might and and you might increase it up to perhaps at some point hour and a half or two hours. But stop and think about this: two hours of time wasted per day, and that is that's fourteen hours a week, right? And at 14 hours a week, that's one entire day of awake time mm-hmm. that they are plugged into the internet doing nothing productive. And please, let's spare ourselves of the, well, you know, my kids are researching. Your kids are researching <laughs> porn stars. <laughs> you may not think they are, but that's what uh. you're, yeah, but it's educational. All right. Mario Brothers is not educational, nor is Call of Duty, nor is Grand Theft Auto. Those are not educational, all right? So let's maybe we just kind of get real with where we're at and what we're doing and, um, and, and, and not capitulate to the culture. But again, I'm going to say to you, you cannot demand of your kids what you're not willing to do yourself. Yes, and that's and the dads, hard part. I'm talking to you. Yes, that's the hard part. Yeah, and here's what somebody just said to me this morning. They said, well, it's a way I can bond with my son. Because we play video games. Again, if you're playing video games with your son three hours a night, you are – it's one thing to play a round of golf. It's another thing to play three hours a night with with video games. Yeah. You're not going to talk. And the only talking you're going to do is in a group chat, you know, on, on your gaming system. And, and guys, we all know it's, it's true. Just the language mm. that goes on in those group chats is really reprogramming normal – for your sons and for you. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, we are out of time. I, I just wanted you to wrap this up, Dan, by just telling us, I mean, I think we heard why it's a problem, but just put a bow on it. Why is this a problem that we have so okay, many here's, men here's with the I'm failure gonna, to launch? Here's how I'm going to put a bow on it. We're going to do another episode. All right. Oh, so perfect. everybody stay tuned. That'll work. And we're going to talk more about this topic of men, children on our next episode of Life Talks. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you next time. You've been listening to Life Talks. Be sure to hit the subscribe button so you never miss a new episode. Share this podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to let your friends and family know about Life Talks. We'd love to hear from you as well, so leave a comment and let us know your thoughts on this episode or any other topics we've discussed. Life Talks is a ministry of Life Fellowship in Cornelius, North Carolina. For more information on Life Talks or Life Fellowship, visit LifeCharlotte.com or you can find us on Facebook at Life Fellowship Charlotte.